0: You know, uh, over this past few weeks, we've been in the book of Ruth, and we've discovered two concepts from the Hebrew Scriptures. We learned a couple of Hebrew words. Uh, we, we've talked about chesed, the loving kindness which the Lord shows to us, and he calls us to show one another. We've been praying about opportunities to show that chesed in, in our lives to those around us, to our family, to our neighbors. We also talked about chen, God's grace that's displayed, that grants favor to those who take refuge in him two two beautiful concepts that are lived out within the relationships of these three people as ruth loved naomi loved ruth and uh i'm on is my mic cutting out okay just wave at me and start jumping jacks if i need to grab another microphone um and kindness and that grace demonstrated in their lives this morning, we're going to jump over to the New Testament, however, and I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14 with me as we see the same concepts in line with the life Lord demonstrated chesed and, and hen, loving kindness and grace that was imparted through the most compassionate human being walked the face of this earth, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let's, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Please join me. Father in heaven, we, we thank you. For your loving kindness we thank you for the loving kindness and the grace that you've shown to us in your son jesus christ who took on human flesh and dwelt among us and paid the sacrifice for our sins so that he might satisfy your justice that he might satisfy the wrath that that we are under we thank you for your mercy for your grace and your loving kindness that you've given to us in him father it's my pr- our prayer that as we as we've concluded Ruth and as we look at another example of this in the life of our Lord Jesus, I, I pray that you would show us those areas of our life where we might show that, that loving kindness and that grace to those around us, that we would be Christ-like, that we would follow his example and, in our sacrifice, in our love, in our kindness, in just the, the, the thoughtful things that we do throughout the day that take the time to notice other people rather than ourselves might we learn to be more like him so it's in his name we pray and we ask these things please teach us amen proverbs chapter 30 verse 24 tells us that there are four things on earth that are small but they are exceedingly wise and the first one in that list is the ant the ants are a people not strong he says yet they provide their food in the summer in fact, ants are so amazing that God advises those who, of us who struggle with laziness to, to watch the ant, O oh sluggard. Observe her ways, consider her ways, and be wise. You know, from my early years, I, I've always been one who likes to sleep. Um, I like putting things off and procrastinating. I, I understand what the scripture means when it says that a slugger turns on the bed like a door turns on its hinges. Those are passages that I, I take to heart. In recognizing the tendencies of, my, of the flesh within me, I, I learned early on to take Solomon's advice. I took his counsel, and I've observed the ant. And uh, I've actually grown to enjoy it over the years. You'll, you'll find me from time to time hunched over a pile of ants just, just watching them scurry about and, and do their thing as they carry burdens from one place to the other and as they do life and as they serve one another and as they prepare for the coming months. But one of my favorite species, however, is a variety of brownish-red ants labeled Polyergus rufescens, better known as the Amazon ants. These large, handsome warriors uh, group outside their own nest, and then they rapidly and without hesitation march toward the colony that's marked for their attack. And usually this will be a, a nest of black-colored ants that are smaller in size. A battle usually ensues, always ensues, and no matter how fierce the combat, the Amazons are not turned back from their goal, which is not the ants themselves, but the pupae, the little eggs of the black ants. You'd think that they're gathering food and that uh, they're they're going to have a feast and take those home for dinner, but that's not the case. You see, soon a, a number of these pupae are captured and they're carried to the victor's home where they are carefully stowed away and then they develop into full-size adult ants. From then on, they are fated to spend the rest of their lives working for the Amazons, finding them food, feeding them, and sometimes even helping raid a nearby nest that was actually their original home. Uh, Dorothy uh, Shuttlesworth and Suzanne Swain write there, there's a strange twist to this story of slavery, though. For actually, the Amazons are at the mercy of their captives. Their sharp claws of these red ants, are so excellent for fighting, are quite useless for digging. And they cannot work on their own nests, even. Neither can they care for the tender larvae. And their tongues are so short that they cannot feed themselves without help from other ants. And so thus, they are completely dependent on the black worker ants, I, I'm afraid that there are many Christians that observe, have observed the ants, but they've often imitated more than more than just the uh, the work of this tiny creature. And instead, sometimes we've interp- we've we've um, we've imitated their behavior as well. Instead, um, their behavior. Uh, our behavior as Christians sometimes has become like that of the Amazon ant. It's, it's often very easy for us to lose sight of the compassion that our Lord Jesus Christ has called us to. It's very easy for us to take advantage of others. We live in a world that, that doesn't show compassion, and, and, and in a world where we've com- been commanded to show compassion to those that are struggling with sin and, and struggling with suffering, all too often we act like the Amazon ant. Rather than the compassionate followers of Jesus Christ that we've been called to be, in our evangelism, we, we we may be tempted to attack the sin, and in the process, we dismember the wrong enemy. Jesus calls out Jesus called out sin for what it is. Right? He he talked to people and he said this is wrong, and he 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 labeled it, and he 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 didn't mince any words. However, we have to remember that it was with the with some of the worst of sinners that Jesus Christ dined with. He, he chose to treat them with kindness. To use the Old Testament term, he showed them chesed. Even at the, time that at the same time that he was commanding them to repent and then go and sin no more. Re- recently, the campaigns have taken off. The, the candidates are descending upon us. And oftentimes, I think we find ourselves amid the battle and it becomes really easy for us to imitate the world that's around us. We live in this culture that, you know, in the last five years, ten years, we've turned to this thing called cancel culture. You disagree with somebody, you try to cancel their lives, you destroy their occupation, you destroy their family, and, and we, we cancel them. Well, what a word, right? To cancel a human being. And we find it really easy sometimes in the midst of this battle to, for us to imitate the world that's around us, rather than to show the lost how our Savior has transformed us, how his compassion ha- has has been poured out on us and lavished us, and therefore that compassion and that chesed needs to be demonstrated in the lives of those around us. Uh, even at work, we, we sometimes get singularly minded and we, we see the goals, and and it's easy to cut off the feet of those around us, our, our fellow man, in order to achieve greater privilege to climb up that infamous corporate ladder. We have to be careful. We're reminded as we turn to Matthew chapter 14, where I invite you to turn today, we're reminded there how our Savior, in the midst of one of the darkest days of his ministry, one of the most difficult days that he had faced in all of his ministry, and yet it was during this day, during this time, that Jesus demonstrates true compassion for the people around him. And I'd like to advocate to you his example here for us is profound. Before we begin the text, let's understand what compassion means. One evangelical dictionary describes it as the disposition that fuels acts of kindness and mercy. Compassion, a form of love, is aroused within us when we are confronted with those who suffer or are vulnerable. The Bible exhorts believers to make compassion an integral part of our lives it needs to be nurtured like the warm embers of a fire and practiced lest it grow cold and becomes dull compassion is the mercy and the empathy that you experience when you hold your injured child in your arms and you have nothing to offer them except for your love and gentle kisses on their forehead Chuck Swindoll expressed it this way. He said, compassion is not a snob gone slumming. It's a real trip down the inside, the broken heart of a friend. It's feeling the sob of the soul. It's sitting down and silently weeping with your soul-crushed neighbor. And so in Matthew chapter 14, we find our Lord confronted by, again, one of the greatest trials of his ministry. And we're told that it was a dark day It was a day that brought grief, sadness, and a need for him to retreat into his father's arms for comfort and solace. When Matthew introduces Jesus in this chapter, he tells us in chapter 4, verse 13, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Isn't that an interesting description? He withdrew to a desolate place. What, What do you find in desolate places typically? Yeah, nothing, no people, (laughs) quiet, placed by himself. So what was it that Jesus had heard which would cause the Son of God to withdraw and to seek that kind of isolation? Look at verses 3 through 12 with me. Chapter 14, verse 3, starts out and says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison. Jumping down to verse 6, When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there. In a boat, to a desolate place by himself. We know that John the Baptist was one of Jesus's cousins. Uh, they they may have been acquainted as as uh, as young ones when they grew up. Uh, both of their mothers were close cousins and friends. We read that account in Luke of of Mary visiting Elizabeth, and so at one point or another, they they probably had gotten to know each other to some extent. We we don't know how much or to what what extent that was. But Jesus grew up about 65 miles to the north, about the distance from here to Cedar Rapids, um, away from from John. Uh, It it was a bit of a distance in those days, but there were frequent trips to Jerusalem, and and they might have become good friends. But we also know that John also played a pivotal role in Jesus' ministry. Early on, uh, we're told that he prepared the way. He was the one that Micah had had prophesied, that Malachi had prophesied calling the people to repentance and then he he baptized jesus when our lord came to him understandably um, the news brought to jesus that day would have brought him great sadness and understandably jesus wanted to be alone with his friends the 12. over in mark chapter 6 verse 31 gives a parallel account to this story and tells us that jesus wanted to rest he said to them come away by yourselves to a desolate place and and rest for a while for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat you ever been in ministry so intense as that No, no time to even eat a meal just a granola bar maybe on the way or a pomegranate pulled from a tree no time to eat ministry was intense But the first lesson that Jesus teaches us about in compassion in Matthew chapter 14 is that compassion satisfies our own needs later. Compassion satisfies our own needs later. Matthew tells us that Jesus wanted some rest. He wanted to withdraw and be alone. Have you ever been there? you ever just so tired? So exhausted? People are just peopling you out. I mean, you're an extrovert, but would they just leave me alone? I've, I've had so much, finally. Uh, let alone those of you who are introverts. People, I want some time to myself. And, and so you're, you're overwhelmed by life's crushing fist that leaves everything, leaves the, the, that you leave everything and you withdraw where you can find just a, a place for some peace for one day. You turn the phone off. You get off the radar. Some, sometimes we just need genuine rest. And, it, and I love that, that gospels show, show Jesus as a real person, a real human being. When he took on flesh, he felt that, and he needed that. He needed to get away from time to time, and he would take his friends, and, and we're told that they withdrew, withdrew in a boat. But Matthew continues in verse 13, and look what happens. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. What would you be thinking at that point? Huh. Elizabeth, you guys just went to Europe. H- how would you feel if you're, you're getting away and, and all of a sudden you know, all your patients showed up and said, hey, we, we yeah. yeah. I'm on vacation. Been there? Just when you thought you, you got away for a few moments, that person comes back and they want more of your time, more of your attention. You just want to escape the busyness for just a few minutes, to avoid people, to avoid everything. My friends, there's a time to pour your life out into others, right? If we're missing that, then we've missed it all. We we need to be pouring our lives out into others. We we are here for such a short time, and there's so much for us to do. There are times, though, when we need rest in, in order to regain our strength. I'm so thankful for the vacation that our family just recently had. I was thankful that leadership understands our need for that rest. They've, they've built that into my job. Uh, I'm thankful for an associate pastor and for elders who study God's word, and they give me the opportunity to, to retreat from my work for a time. And I want you to understand, I, I love the church, and, and I love ministry, and I love preaching God's word. I, I love the people that are here. And so I'm always grateful to come back home, but, but I am thankful Every once in a while we have that opportunity for a prolonged period without meetings, without computers. The phone can be turned off and we can just spend some time with those that are closest to us. I was thankful for the the faithful men who took on extra responsibilities so that I could take some special time with my wife and children. We need that. But I think that Jesus also needed these times to rest and to remove himself from all the, the constant activity that surrounded him. But this day in particular was different. This day in Jesus' ministry was certainly one of, the, one of those days. But we're told that the people wouldn't have it. He tried to get away for a time. He got across the lake in a boat. Luke tells us in his gospel that the people ran to the other side. You can, you can picture they're, they're leaving one town, and Jesus is going uh, across the lake, and they're watching the boat as it sails across, and they run to the next town. And what happens? the crowd gets a little bit bigger and they run to the next town and the word is spreading Jesus is going over there and and so everybody starts moving along they ran when Jesus went ashore and saw the people he yelled out just leave me alone don't you understand what I'm going through today is that what your text says No, no, it doesn't say that. Verse 14 tells us, look at this. It's easy to read this verse and miss everything that was happening in his life that day. But this is when it says, and he had compassion. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Compassion is the disposition that fuels Acts of kindness and mercy. Compassion, a form of love, is aroused within us when we are confronted with those who suffer or are vulnerable. Compassion satisfies our own needs later. But also, also notice that compassion seeks others and their needs first. First. Look at verses 14 to 16. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. You hear it in their voices? They're tired too. Pay attention to these details and and how all these stories are interlinked together. The, the, The entire day had passed. Likely they, they followed him to the other side sometime in the, the late morning. And The crowds grew as the people passed by each village. Jesus is crossing the lake. Jesus is going to such and such town. Let's go. And many people had, had no lunch because they, they picked up everything and they left and they ran and they followed him. And they were excited for what might be happening on the other side of the lake. And those that had brought something had already exhausted their supply probably that afternoon. They'd wearied themselves. They, they walked. They ran several miles, some of them carrying their loved ones so that Jesus might lay his hand on them and, and make them well. Matthew tells us that Jesus healed their sick. Luke chapter 9 adds that, that Jesus not only had compassion on them, but it tells us that he welcomed them. I mean, he, he got there and, and, and said, welcome, as if it was part of the plan. Because they were part of his plan, and he put them first. They were his priority, even on this day. He welcomed them, and he spoke to them. Not only did he heal them, but he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So uh, it's a morning of bad news, a late morning of rowing across the lake, the response to a crowd of people, an afternoon of healing them, and And then teaching them as well. But the entire day passed, and and this day that was supposed to be a vacation, the evening hours had come upon them, and the disciples, they they recognized the situation. I I like how practical these guys are. They're they're like a lot of us. You just, you look at the the situation of life, and and you assess it. Sometimes you don't really pay attention to the, the people you're running over, um, I'm speaking to myself. I'm not, I, I mentioned the leaders. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger here. It's easy to run people over. I do it. I did that this week. I had somebody that came and, and, and had a real need and, uh, a- and they were using me. They wanted money for something. And uh, it wasn't the appropriate time to give a handout But there were other needs that were there that that needed compassion. And and I was so practical in everything that I was doing that I missed the opportunity to say, how are you? How can I pray for you? We become so absorbed in the things around us and the the practicalities of life and what things need to happen that sometimes we, we miss the bigger situation. They recognized the situation, but they were probably... You know, they were probably really hungry themselves, weren't they? whole day of work, and they were tired. I bet they were probably the ones that did most of the rowing that day, too. Their own grief was still fresh. Some of them had been disciples of John himself. Some of them uh, were also cousins. John and James probably were also um, first, second, maybe third cousins. They knew John. People needed to go, and they needed time to get to the town so they could buy food, and they needed some time first to hike to the nearest village. But Jesus said, "They need not go away. You give them something to eat." I love it. I can just hear him. I, I can see the twinkle in his eye. Maybe, maybe he's speaking over his shoulder. Maybe, maybe they weren't face to face. Maybe it was you know he's healing somebody. You know, you, you go take care of it. I, I don't know. You are gonna speculate. And I can picture them looking at each other. Incredulous. What? But he was serious. Jesus wanted them to, to feed the people. And he didn't want to send them away hungry. He wanted to feed them. Jesus sought the needs of other people before his own. I mean, it's been a long day. And, and, but he wanted to take care of them. He had compassion on them. Again, I love how Charles Swindoll said it. He said, Compassion usually calls for a willingness to humbly spend oneself in obscurity on behalf of unknowns. How few there are in our fast paced, get rich quick society who say to such a task, Here I am, use me. He goes on, truly, compassionate people are often hard to understand, they take risks that most people would never take. They give away what most people would cling to. They reach out and touch when most would hold back with folded arms. Their caring brings them up close where they feel the other person's pain and do whatever is necessary to demonstrate true concern. Compassion seeks the others of needs first. But thirdly, also notice that compassion uses small things to accomplish big tasks verse 17 it says they said to him <laughs> we have only five loaves here and two fish and he said bring them here to me uh, over in john chapter 6 we have another parallel account and it records that philip answered him 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get just a little come on jesus you're kidding me we have Five loaves of bread, two fish. You think that's going to get around this whole crowd? Uh, two hundred denarii would be in today's economy about thirty-three hundred dollars. So Phillips, i mean, he's—he's he's practical. He's looking at it. You know, he's Doug Hinkle over here in Karma. You know, Carmen, you know, get the books for us. You know, what, what what's the budget? Right, Doug. Got a mind to think about this? I'm not saying you're not compassionate well, it's the kind of guy that just sees what's in front of him, and, and he leads, and he, he delegates and says, you know, here, here's the situation, you know, $3,300, Jesus, and that wouldn't be enough to, to get more than just a little bit for everybody. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they to so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So, so consider what we have here. Consider the small things that they had. They had one small little boy. They had two loaves of bread. And, f- no, they had five loaves of bread, two fish. But one thing we're told that um, they had a lot of and I love that John tells us this. They had a lot of grass. There was one thing that there was plenty of, and it was, it was a place to sit. So there was that. In verse 19, it goes on, it says Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Can you imagine that many people? That's, that's, that's a crowd bigger than DeWitt. All come out to hear Jesus and be healed by Jesus on the day when he just wanted to get away. And he fed them all. Not, not just a bite. He fed them all. And they were satisfied so they came to jesus with small things but look at the big tasks that were accomplished the text says that they all ate not only this but they were all satisfied additionally they picked up 12 baskets of bread do you think that was important i think the disciples probably saw some of that you know okay there's one for each of us jesus's miracle wasn't an accident it was everything was intentional but there were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And, and, and so here's the thing. The next time that your God asks you to do something, he gives you a task, and he lays it on your heart, don't imagine for one moment that he is limited by the small offering that you're able to bring him. When he calls you to demonstrate compassion in the lives of those that are hurting and you have no idea what to say. When he calls you to show compassion to that person that has treated you so unkindly and you hurt. When he calls you to demonstrate compassion in the lives of the hurting and the suffering and the vulnerable, remember that he is not limited to by the subtle and humble demonstrations of kindness that you can offer. And when he calls you to share your faith to a lost people who are walking in darkness, who are so desperate for their need of life and their need for mercy and their need for grace, remember that he is not limited by your difficulties to speak by your fear of rejection or by the uncertainties that you feel about your ability to share the greatest news that has ever been told on this planet. Jesus takes little things. He takes inadequate things. He takes the little that we have to offer or the little that we bring to the table. And he will take those things when he puts you on the spot he will take those little things that you have to offer when you have no preparation or no notice and you just watch what he can accomplish this is indeed one of the darkest days of Jesus' ministry but you first need to understand that compassion satisfies your own needs later compassion means that we put others before ourselves And we put them first and God uses small things to accomplish big tasks after sending the multitudes away Jesus went on that evening to spend the entire night in prayer he then walked on water he arrived on the shore the next morning and his disciples were, were there with him only to be greeted by more people whom he went on to heal and to teach the next day <laughs> can you imagine here we go again he hasn't slept yet has he and jesus told them greater works than these shall you do can you believe that's the context of him saying that john chapter 14 verse 12 sorry i've misread that for a second Matthew 14, John 14, I got, threw myself off for a second. I was like, wait a minute, I don't think I wrote that. But Jesus told his disciples, greater works than these you will do. So what kind of compassion can we show? Every day, God brings people into your lives who are hurting. They're lost without a shepherd. They suffer. They're They're vulnerable. Though they may mask their hurts behind the face that they put on, they they need Christ. It's time that we compassionately share the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, not bashing them into repentance with cold condemnation, but treating sin for what it is, calling sin for what it is, and showing the love and compassion of Jesus Christ and and sharing the incredible good news that, that Jesus came to show us grace. The Jesus who called sinners to repentance was the Jesus who met with Nicodemus and told him that he must be born again to receive eternal life. He's the same Jesus that called to a tax collector, Zacchaeus, who was, he said, come down from the sycamore tree. I must dine with you this evening. So here's what I'm gonna ask each of you to do. Okay, number one, you had an assignment during Ruth, right? Pick one person in your life, each of your family members as well, and pick one act of chesed, one act of loving kindness to show to those individuals. The good news is that we're not limited by a series on Ruth to do those things, right? You get a permanent extension on all of that. And so continue to do that. Look for those specific opportunities. Secondly, uh, you've heard me talk about our fishing basket before, we've been called to be fishers of men, right? And uh, for those of you who haven't heard of a fishing basket, Uh, what i mean by that i I challenge you to keep a fishing basket you are a fisher of men and and so what i ask you to do is is have a list of five to ten names of people that you pray for on a regular basis i have one individual that i pray for every single day at 507 my alarm goes off i drop what i'm doing and i pray for that person's salvation it's interesting in the last few weeks Uh, this person who I usually leave messages with every single day, or not every day, but every time I call him, and maybe on the fifth time he'll call back a couple months later, Uh, I've called twice in this last three weeks, and he answered the first time. And we had some great conversations. And so it's beautiful to see how God's answering those prayers. And I pray every single day for that person. And so it might be every day at a certain time that you pray for someone, or maybe those five to ten people you pray for on a certain day, or but you do so regularly. And your fishing basket is a list of five to ten names of people who need Jesus Christ that I want you to be praying for on a regular basis. Write write their names down on the index card. Put it in front of you where you're going to see it on a regular basis, a consistent basis. It can be coworkers, family, friends, neighbors. And when you continue to pray for them and pray for the opportunities to show Jesus to them through your actions and through your words. Okay, actions are important. We, ne- we need to live out the gospel. Y- that, you living out the gospel is going to be one of the most profound messages that they're ever going to hear. But, but it also needs to be telling them about the gospel. We, we talk a lot about living it out, but if it stops there, then they're never going to hear what Jesus did for them. And so, so we need to be praying that we have, are able to show them Jesus through your actions and through your words. A- and pray for those opportunities. Don't just pray that God will send someone to them. Pray, pray that, but don't just pray that. Pray, being mindful as to whether you might be that person that the Lord would send to them and give that opportunity to and pray and as you're praying ask your Lord for opportunities thirdly over this next five months that's the remainder of 2023 I want you to purposefully look for an opportunity to share Christ with one of those people I mean, don't limit it to one. I mean if you if you share the gospel with one next week, then don't, you know, write the others off. But pray for one opportunity and be looking for one opportunity to purposefully talk to that person about Jesus Christ. Plan for it. Practice sharing the gospel. Think through, when, you know, what is what what does need to be what needs to be heard. I want you to plan for it. I want you to To do it, when the Lord opens that door, and and when he opens that door, you're going to be ready for it because you've been thinking about it and you've been praying about it and you've been praying for that open door. And so, look for that. And finally, I want you to invite some of your unsaved friends over. Your neighbors. Invite them to church. Invite them to small groups. Have them over to your house for dinner. Sometime this summer, this fall, I challenge you to invite one couple or family over to your house for, let's say, a barbecue or for dinner. Just be building that relationship with somebody that needs Jesus. And your intention is just to show kindness, show compassion. That they might see the love of Jesus, the compassion that's lived through your life and through your home. I shared with you earlier that I've always enjoyed watching ants i like learning from ants i like seeing how they live their small little lives but unlike the amazon ant that enslaves its prey and demands a life of fealty there's another family of ants that have gained my my affection and my admiration for their lives of sacrifice and the devotion that they display to seek the needs of others first Dorothy Shuttlesworth. You can tell it's a book about ants. She tells uh, of many varieties of ants that eat honeydew, but but there's some ants. She says some kinds make their own uh, something. Excuse me. Some kinds make it their complete diet, and such ants have a problem. For in dry climates, fresh supplies are not always available. The solution is to store honey, and certain desert living species have such a successful storage system that they have earned the name. Honey pots. If we look into the home of a colony of honeypot ants, we would at first see a, a normal enough situation with queen, workers and undeveloped grubs. However, if, if we look beyond and below the regular living chambers, we'll discover other larger rooms several feet beneath the surface of the ground. Hanging from the ceilings are strange, pot-bellied creatures. In general, their appearance is a resemblance of the other worker ants, but the hind part of their body is huge, out of proportion to the rest of their form. And these swollen abdomens are filled with ant honey. They're living storage tanks. It's been put there by the normal workers who collect the plant juices and then they pump the honey into these honey pots. This type of feeding begins when the honey pots are young enough for their skin to scre- stretch. And those that are fated for storage are set apart for life to serve this one purpose. They cannot walk. They can scarcely move. But they hang from the ceiling of the especially constructed chambers, receiving honey and giving it out again when the need rises. Showing compassion. Showing mercy usually doesn't reward us with lots of applause, does it? Compassion takes place in humble and quiet demonstrations of God's love for those who suffer and for those who are vulnerable. But in Matthew chapter 9, a few chapters earlier, we're told, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So are you ready? Ready? Are you ready to be one of those workers who labors compassionately for the good of others and for the glory of God? Are you today one who will show compassion for the lost? Let's pray that the Lord would teach us to live out chesed, his loving kindness. Pray that we would learn to live out chen, his grace. And might we learn to practice one of the greatest forms of God's love, the greatest forms of his loving kindness and grace, the same kind of compassion that he demonstrated to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the incredible example of of your son, Jesus Christ. We've been watching the life of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and, and how they loved one another, how they showed loving kindness to one another what it cost them, the sacrifices they made. But Lord, there has been no other like your son Jesus Christ that has been so successful in showing this sacrificial love, this compassion for those that were hurting. Pray that you'd give us that kind of vision for the people around us. for you would help us be aware of the open doors that you put into our lives help us be practical people but practical people that believe in a great God who takes our small offerings and accomplishes great things help us be people who know the difference between being taken advantage of and when we need to show tough love and, and show us the times when we need to show uh, incredible grace the people that are hurting. Help us to see the times when sacrifice is needed, when we need to pour out ourselves, and how we can do so. Father, I pray for each of my friends here. I pray that you give us a vision for the people in our lives that need Jesus Christ. We have a mission that you've given to, your son has given to us. We're called to go and make disciples. And the first step of that is telling them this great news. And and so help us to be compassionate in the way that we do that. Might we call sin, sin. Let us not mask over things or pretend something that's not. But like your son, help us to do that in a way that people see your great love in us. We love you. We adore you. We thank you for the example that your son showed to us. Help us to go out here and be more like him.